Pray with me, please. So, Lord, we sung today about how worthy you are, that we long for the cry of our heart to be to praise you, to be the very breath that we breathe to be a praise to you. Oh, Lord, forbid that these would be just words and not from our hearts. Move us today. We've come to encounter you, the true and the living God. We come with your word. We come by your spirit. We come in your power. So, Lord, forbid that we would come and leave unchanged, unchallenged, unmoved by the great God of this universe. We believe that we are here today by appointment, that you have something for each of us, and so may our hearts be very open to you in this time. We commit this time to you, and all God's people agreed and said, Amen. Well, welcome once again. Um, just a couple things if you got in a little bit late. We are... We did this at Christmas, we did it for a short amount of time, but we once again are trying to um, not get into any of the politics about refugees, but just out of humanitarian love, Christian love and concern for the, the Syrian refugees around the world that are, that are displaced. Um, if, if you have followed any of the things in Aleppo, it's, it's heartbreaking, so in, just challenge you to give to that to help, and our missions team will see that it goes to a to a good place. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about love today, and I'm really not talking about marriage. But I, I got into a conversation before the service today about how quickly uh, marital love can shift, and it reminded me um, uh, of several things. Uh, w- one was the story about the uh, the minister was wrapping up the the, the ceremony. And, and he got to the place where he says, I now pronounce you man and wife. And he gave a, a weighty, dramatic pause, as you know, we ministers kind of do that sometimes. And the, the nervous groom was afraid that he had forgotten a kind of crucial element. And so he blurted out, it's, well, isn't it customary to cuss the bride? The minister paused another moment, and he says, not until you've been married for a while. And then there was the fellow that ended up in the hospital and had an automobile accident. And the doctor came out and she said, he said, Mrs. Smith, I, I, don't, I don't like the looks of your husband. She said, I, I don't either, but he's really good to the children. <laughs> and then the new husband came home to find his young bride in tears. And she said, I made you dinner, but the dog ate it. And she was just so upset. He says, how, honey, don't worry, we can get another dog. (laughs) Well, we're going to talk about love today, and it's not just marital love. And I want to go ahead and get that out in the front because I think it's real easy with some of the things that we read in the Bible about love because we ministers as a group have made so much application to this, to marriage, that somehow we forget that the intent is much broader than that for us as believers in Christ. 
we are starting our pre-Easter series. Uh, we're looking at five chapters in John, John 13 through 17, uh, the last words of Jesus uh, before he went to the cross. And so uh, there's a study guide on the back table. If you're in a life group, you'll have one of those and invite you to track with us each week if you would read the next chapter in John. So starting tomorrow, if you'd start reading in John 14, and God willing, next Sunday my message will be from John 14. And uh, also we're going to have some breakout sessions that Sunday, next Sunday, about sharing your faith. So that's kind of a follow-up on the series that I just finished on making disciples, so I encourage you to be back for that. Um, then, but each week, just reading ahead of time so that when you come in, you're, you're, kind, of, you're kind of up to speed with what I'm going to be talking about, and I think it'll be beneficial. Um, I believe that these teachings that we have in this, these five chapters in John create a bridge between the Gospels, the life of Jesus, and the book of Acts, the beginning of the young, fledgling church. And when Jesus came, just a little background, when Jesus came, he, he came to the nation of Israel and he presented himself and he was presented as the king. And I believe the nation of Israel had embraced him at that point in time that we would move right into the closing of time because they had embraced their Messiah, their Savior, Jesus himself. But they did not. And so that's why we have all of these other things that are leading up to the day, and we are still waiting for the return of Jesus the second time. Because they rejected their king, we moved on into the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, and the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So let me just lay out a framework here of some of the transitional things that I think that are happening here between the Gospels and Acts that are found, really, in the, um, in the upper room in these last words of Jesus. In, in the Gospels, we see that the kingdom was emphasized. In the book of Acts, we're going to see that the church is emphasized. In the Gospels, Jesus was presented as king. When you get to the book of Acts, the emphasis is on that he is our Savior. In the Gospels, the ministry of Christ was limited to Palestine, and the ministry in Acts is to, of the apostles extended throughout the empire, and indeed today to the ends of the earth. The ministry of Christ was primarily to Jews, and we know that according to Ephesians chapter 2, the barriers between Jews and Gentiles have been broken down, and now it's going to be increasingly to Gentiles, and we see that in the book of Acts. We see Christ revealed, revealing the Father. We see now believers revealing the Christ. Apostles were preparing to bear fruit. In the book of Acts, we see them bearing fruit. We see Jesus living among believers in the Gospels in the book of Acts, and until today we see that the Holy Spirit lives within all true believers. In chapter 13, after the introduction at the beginning of the chapter, we're going to see that this teaching on servanthood and washing disciples' feet, um, and he moves on to deeper things. So let's just jump into John chapter 13. I think I'm going to read the whole chapter today. I'm not going to cover the whole chapter today, but it's so good, I think we ought, to, we ought to give attention to the whole chapter. John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him <clears throat> to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. 
The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying with the, them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts me, I, excuse me, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he'd said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the bread, the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the, ta no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. And as soon as, Jesus, as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides now and forever. May he read, bless the reading of it today. There's so much here. There's so much here I could talk about. I could talk about the, how that Satan sows things into our lives just as he sows seeds into the life of Judas. So I think he tries to do that with us. I could talk about servanthood and I'd talk about the beautiful model we have of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I could talk about Judas, the betrayal, that heartbreaking event. But I think I'm going to talk about the end of the chapter in verses 34 and 35 where he talks about he's going away and that we are to love each other. Two concerns. He's warning the disciples of his impending departure and he also says, I want to share with you this great new command to love one another. <clears throat> to love one another. 15, 16 years ago when we were putting together our core values here at 12th Avenue, one of our 10 core values is love. Love. We believe that love should permeate every relationship of life. And I can still remember the workshop we had where we got together and we were talking about why is this important? And we wrote down some things of why this is important. It's how God has treated humanity all through history. It's a clear command of Scripture. It's reflected in the inner in the interaction that we see even within the Trinity. It separates us from the world. And it is the standard by which lost people measure God and measure his followers. So I want to talk about this today. It's so important. And I want to talk about three aspects. And if, if you'd like to follow along um, in verses 34 and 35, if you'd like to take notes, there's a note page you have there. I'm going to talk about three aspects of this love command. Again, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The first thing I see here is that it's a new command to love one another. Now, now the Bible talks a lot about love in other places, but he says it's a new command, and I'm going to try to unwrap why I think he's calling it a new command in just a moment. Love is, is mentioned only 12 times in the first 12 chapters of John, but in chapters 13 through the end of John, it is mentioned 44 times. It's a strong emphasis that we're going to see in this upper room discourse in these last words of Jesus in his parting comments to his disciples. So what is new about this? Well, Jesus has already taught them. He says, you know what, the, the two great commands, remember that? The, the great command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two commands. To love God is the vertical command, and to love your neighbor as yourself is the horizontal command. 
So I think he's already given us clearly two commands to love, to love God with all that we can and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The third command I would submit to you is reciprocal love, which is I love you and you love me. That's what he says, love one another. We in the body of Christ, there should be reciprocity in that I love you and you love me. And I think that's the newness of this command. I'm not going to go to the hill and die for that. That's what I think it is. Um, it could also have to do with the fact that they're going to face a new challenge. Um, and, and this gets unwrapped as we get on out into the New Testament because God has been working in this tribal framework of the nation of Israel, and now all of a sudden he's asking them to go outside and, and Gentiles which they kept themselves away from, now God is bringing into the family. And that's going to be a new aspect of love too. So if you want to argue that, I'll let you argue that. But I think it's the, the reciprocity that we are to be loving each other, that I love you in the body of Christ and you love me. The second thing we see here is the pattern, a wonderful pattern. The pattern that he gives for us, for us, for us loving each other is in verse 34, as I have loved you. Don't, make the, don't put the bar up very high, okay? As I have loved you, as Jesus loved us. Now, you know, I, I, um, I'm doing some premarital counseling right now, and one of the verses that I always cover, or passages that I cover, is always in Ephesians 5, where it talks about that husbands are to love their wives and wives are to respect their husbands. And uh, that's another plug for love and respect. It's a great book. But um, I, talk about, I talk about husbands loving their wives, and I say in that passage, it tells us we are to love our wives in two ways. We are to love our wives like we love our own bodies, and I love me a lot, and so the rest of the guys here, by the way, in case you didn't know. And, and, and then we're also to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Hello. Like Christ loved the church. How much did he love the church? He died for the church. Just in case you didn't know. He died for the church. We are to love our wives that way. Well, but also now, now it's, it, we're broadening this. And again, it's a temptation when we talk about love is to make all the application to marriage. He's saying, as I have loved you, you're to love each other. Now again, he's, he's talking to a bunch of men. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking about a command for the church. John 13 Fifteen, thirteen. greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, and Jesus is going to do this. Not John 3, 16, but 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so we see in Ephesians 5, this is the kind of love that a husband is to have for his wife. But we see also from 1 John, this kind of love that we are to have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't lower the bar. It's crystal clear. So we see that there is this new love, new command. It's a reciprocal kind of love. It's, there's a wonderful pattern, and the pattern that's given to us is that we are to be like Jesus in our love for each other. We're to model this kind of love. How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. We'll come back to that a little bit later. 
I'm going to unwrap that a little bit uh, later in the message. The third thing I see here is a tremendous opportunity. By this kind of reciprocal love, what it says in this passage <clears throat> is that we reveal Christ to the world, to all men. And Jesus says the world has the right to judge whether we are Christians or not by our love. You see that? Verse 35, by this all men will know that you are to my disciples if you love one another. Now, three times in the, in the Gospel of John, he says you proved to be my disciples by doing three different things. In uh, John 8.31, it says by holding, by holding to my teachings, to holding to the teachings of Jesus, we proved to be his disciples. Now, let me, let me say about that, but, because I think we say, well, I, you know, I've, I've got the right doctrine. I, you know, I believe the right things. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I believe all the right doctrine. But I think it's more than that. When he says, when you hold to my teachings, I think it's more about what we're doing than what we're knowing. Okay? This is crucial. When we, hold to, when we truly hold to the teachings of Jesus, it's about living it. You know, and, and, and it is a false dichotomy for people to say, well, I believe this, but I live this. No, no, no. No, what you, what you live, what you live is what you believe. Don't, 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 try to, don't try to fake it. That's the way it is. And so he says, you prove to be my disciples by holding to my teachings. And you hold to his teachings by living his teachings. The, the second time we see this, we're going to see this in a couple of weeks, in, in John 15, verse 8, we prove to be his disciples by bearing much fruit. And I'm not going to get into, I'm not going to unwrap what it means to bear fruit for God, but we'll get to that, okay? And then today in our text, we prove to be his disciples by loving one another. And this is the only one that Jesus says the world will use to judge our faith. And the sad thing, the sad thing about preaching on this passage is I know and you know people who profess the name of Jesus Christ and they don't live up to the standard. They don't live up to the love standard for other people. I, you know, I've, I've tried to understand that and I've tried to, I've, I've tried to think, how can... How, how can that happen? How can we know the God of this universe and have his life in us, the Holy Spirit living within us, and not love people like we ought to love people? How can this happen? And, and I, 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 don't, I don't fully, I don't pretend to fully know. And, and I don't pretend to fully do it, okay? But it's my heart intent to always love people that way. And I sure hope it's yours. But, but I think, I think if, we, if we don't love people that way, I think we have failed to understand how much Christ loves us. I, I think it shows that we have a faulty understanding of God's love for us. And, and it really shows how much we, we care about other people. Because we discourage other people. We discourage other people who are in the family of God and we discourage other people outside the family of God when we don't treat people with love. We make it hard for them to come to God, especially if you're carrying around your Christian sign, you know, I'm a Christian. 
and, and, and then just to get a little bit deeper, you know, if we can't love people the way we ought to love, maybe we don't have the Holy Spirit within us. Maybe we haven't been truly born again. This is a powerful passage. Um, I'm not holding this up as an example, a model for anybody or anything or whatever. This was just an observation that I saw that after I surrendered my life to Christ, one of the things that surprised me, surprised me, that I just was like, came on like a light bulb about six months in to walking with the Lord was I found there was somebody I used to couldn't stand and now I had genuine Christian love for them. And it was like, and don't give me any credit, it was glory to God because I was like, an ob- it was like, huh, how did that happen? I, I mean, I mean, seriously, it was that, it was that kind of an epiphany of like, how in the world did that happen? I want to tell you, that's Holy Spirit work. And that's the kind of, and some of you may have some of those same stories where God changed your heart. God moved you. That's what God does. He, you know he does change us. Uh, Eugene Peterson of um, The Message fame uh, wrote about this passage. He says that it is a most surprising identification card a most surprising identification card that we would be judged, we would be judged to be his disciples by loving each other. You, you, know, I, you, know, you know people and I know people, well, if you have the right doctrine, that we'll judge you to be a disciple of Jesus. If you have the right doctrine or you go to the right church or the right denomination, if you work hard for justice, if you know the scriptures forward or backwards, if you come to church every Sunday, that's not what Jesus said. didn't even come close to that. He said, we'll judge you to be disciples by the love commandment. Neil Anderson said this, if you say you don't love someone, you have said more about yourself than about that person. Specifically, you're saying that you haven't attained the maturity to love him unconditionally. The grace of God enables you to love people, love others, in a way that people without Christ cannot. End of quote. Have you ever thought about that? Because when we say we have trouble loving somebody, we're always wagging our finger at them and their deficiencies and their flaws and who they are. When we may be I would submit to you we need to be looking in the mirror. 1 Corinthians 13, if you have a Bible, you might turn to that. I just want to touch this briefly as we we wrap this up today. 1 Corinthians 13, if you know much about Scripture, you know that 1 Corinthians is, is referred to as the love chapter. Sometimes we read it at weddings. Again, this is one of those passages we want to take it and we want to specifically apply it to marriage. And it does apply to marriage. Perhaps better than anywhere else, it does apply to marriage. But we tend to do that with Scripture. I'll tell you another one, that um, Ephesians 4 passage where it says, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. 
Don't go to bed mad. We always say, I always say that in my counseling too. Don't go to bed mad at night. You might stay up all night, but don't go to bed mad. Um, and we apply it to marriage. But that passage, just like this passage, is not written just for married people. It's not just for marriage. 1 Corinthians 13, obviously, is sandwiched between chapters 12 and 14. Okay, pretty intuitive. Do you know what chapters 12 and 14 talk about? They're talking to the body of Christ. They're talking about gifts within the body of Christ. He is writing to the body of Christ. One of the rules of interpreting the Bible is you always interpret the Bible in context. You always look at what comes before, what comes after. That is basic interpretation of Scripture. You read it in context. So when we read chapter 13, it's in the context of the body of Christ. What does he say to the body of Christ about love? Beginning in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So going back to the model that we have from Jesus of how we're to love each other, I want to answer the question now. How does Jesus love? How does he want us to love? I'm going to give you some test questions. Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I envious? Am I boastful? Am I rude? Am I self-seeking? Am I easily angered? Do I keep a record of the wrongs committed against me? This is the love test. And if you don't get that all written down, you've got a Bible, look it up. 1 Corinthians 13. This is the love test. It's not just for marriage. It's for how we deal with other people. Are you a patient person? Are you kind to people? Are you envious of what other people have? Are you boastful about what you have and who you are? Are you just rude to people? Are you self-seeking? Do you have your agenda? If you know, if you don't look out for number one, nobody else will. You ever hear that? You ever say that? Are you easily angered? Do you keep a record? Do you hold on to grudges? Are you unforgiving? You see, listen, 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 listen. I, I want to just tell you, a lot of us are very driven, focused people. And I, I you know, guilty. Okay, I, I plead guilty of that. A lot of us are driven, focused people. And driven, focused people, we have, we have goals that we're achieving. Hear me, hear me. The end never justifies the means. The end never justifies the means. And I think sometimes when you're really, really driven and really focused, you, you almost can sell yourself on that, that if you, if you run over some people or if you hurt some people or if you bump into some people or you're not all that you ought to be to people, that that's okay because the end is high and lofty. Now listen, 
you got to do it right all along the way. You see, God's will, if you're doing God's will, God's will always has to be done in alignment with God's ways. Does that make sense? So here's your test question. You can take it home. You can take it home. If you're really bold, you can, you can ask some of the people that live at your house how you're doing. That might be your spouse, might be your parents, uh, might be your roommate, might be somebody you work with. People in your small group. That might be a great life group exercise tonight. Or not. I don't know. I just don't know how real you want to get. Steinman, will you do that tonight maybe? Steinman's on it. Um, you say, Pastor, are you being real? Are you being real? Is that, is that really the standard? Yes, it is. And I'm not blinking. And, and let me tell you how important it is. Let me, let me read some verses to you. I, I skipped over the first three verses of the chapter. This is how important this is. Listen to this. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels that have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, it doesn't say in there, but understands everything in the book of Revelation. <laughs> That's not in there. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Listen to this. If I give all that I possess to the poor, and not only that, I surrender my body to the flames. In other words, you give yourself as a martyr but have not love, I gain nothing. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And, and it needs to happen. And it needs to happen with us in the body of Christ. Let me close with a little story. An old rabbi was once asked by his students, um, he always, excuse me, he asked his students how they could tell when the night had ended and day had begun. One student said, well, could it be when you see an animal in the distance and you can tell whether it is a sheep or a dog? He said, no. Another one said, well, is it when you see a tree in the distance and you can tell whether it's a peach tree or a fig tree? He said, no. They said, well, then, Rabbi, tell us, what is it? He says it's this, it's when you can look on the face of any man or woman and see that it is your sister or brother. Because if you cannot see this, it is still night. It is still night. Let's stand together for a closing prayer. If I can help you with taking any steps on your spiritual journey, please contact us here in the church office. So, lots to work on with this love test this week. Lots to work on. Father, be at work in our lives. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for this great new command that you gave to us for us to love one another in the body of Christ. Help us to love each other like you love us. And may we have a powerful testimony for you and may people give glory and honor to you because of the love that you build in our lives for one another.
May 12th Avenue Baptist Church have a testimony in this community of people who love one another. May we not settle for anything less than that. In Jesus' name, amen.